Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Tuesday. Fantastic show planned for you today. Maybe the greatest show ever because we're going to have Pearl Davis, pearly things on the show today, and I'm so looking forward to it. I'm a big fan of Pearl. Uh, we're going to have a Twitter Spaces discussion about Pearl uh, later today after the show. Uh, I cannot wait to talk to Pearl. Uh, Coach JB is going to be here. JB is going to be on the show. Uh, Steve Kim, TJ Moe will be on the show. We're going to talk about this uh, Northwestern uh, football scandal uh, that has made the news. And so let's get right into it. You start pounding the like button, and I'm going to start pounding this fire starter. Let's go. Uh, the not-so-anonymous whistleblower is the lone hero in the Northwestern football hazing scandal that cost Coach Pat Fitzgerald his job and reputation. The former player and backup quarterback brought down a popular, successful, and well-intentioned bully. The whistleblower will suffer because of it. His former teammates will ostracize him. He'll be regarded as a snitch and seen as weak. His motives will be questioned. He'll be blamed for ruining the golden era of Wildcat football, a 17-year stretch of pigskin competence that saw the school transform itself from cupcake to formidable opponent to top 25 program. The outed informant's name will live in infamy across the school's campus and throughout the Big Ten. Heroism comes with a heavy price tag. This kid will pay it. There are no other heroes in this story. Certainly not school president Michael Schill, who initially ruled that Fitzgerald's obvious willful ignorance about a pattern of sexualized naked hazing within the Northwestern locker room warranted a two-week suspension. Schill did everything in his power to protect the winningest coach in Northwestern history. He did not fire Fitzgerald until the whistleblower forced the issue by reporting the sordid details of the Wildcats' hazing rituals. The student journalists at the Daily Northwestern are not heroes either. They simply reported what the whistleblower told them. Their rewards for doing so have already started to trickle in as professional sports writers from across the country tweet their praises as a way of elevating their own importance. The former players who confirmed the whistleblower's account of the football team's culture of hazing are not heroes either. They're simply honest. Honesty is not an act of heroism, or at least it shouldn't be. Honesty is a reflection of integrity. There will be no harsh consequence for the young men who co-signed the informant's allegations. Some of the anonymous players piling on Fitzgerald's carcass are opportunists extracting a measure of revenge against a coach who challenged them in ways that made them uncomfortable. The Daily Northwestern published a ridiculous story accusing Fitzgerald of enabling racism because he and his coaching staff promoted clean-cut appearances and, and frowned on dreadlocks. A former player was quoted as saying, your blackness was not allowed to shine through, whether it was how you carried yourself all the way down to your hair. <laughs> I'm not here to defend Pat Fitzgerald. His calculated willful ignorance enabled a pattern of hazing. He needed to be fired. But there's no credible evidence that he's a racist. 
there's far more proof that this anonymous player is an idiot who thinks blackness is a hairstyle, not a skin color. Short of Fitzgerald asking players to bleach their skin, there's no way of him stopping someone's blackness from shining through. The former player should worry about his idiocy shining through. But I digress. I want to explain how the hazing culture at Northwestern likely developed. Over the last 35 years, the NCAA, at the behest of the media, has taken consistent action to limit a coach's time with and influence over his or her players. Coaches have responded by leaning into player leadership councils that enforce discipline and maintain culture. In the last decade, many coaches have developed an outright fear of their players. An old school coach trying to instill old school values runs the risk of being labeled a racist or out of touch. Corporate media pretty much always sides with the players in a dispute with a conservative football or basketball coach. The addition of the transfer portal has accentuated this problem. Coaches are now constantly recruiting their current players. They fear imposing discipline. They encourage the players to discipline themselves. The coaches set up players-only safe spaces, allegedly private sanctuaries for privacy. The reality is these safe spaces are zones for player-imposed discipline. The coaches do not want to know what goes on in the locker room. The raunchy and violent rap music played inside most locker rooms is off-putting to old-school coaches. The players' only locker rooms protect the coaches more than the players. Now, a smart coach further insulates himself by opening each season, giving a speech that strictly forbids all forms of hazing. Based on all reports, Pat Fitzgerald is a smart man. He played football at and graduated from Northwestern. As a player, assistant, and head coach, Fitzgerald spent 26 years at the elite university. Familiarity, school pride, favored son status, and a need for a unique competitive advantage all likely combined to convince Fitzgerald to look away as his players establish a culture of hazing. Hazing works. It builds unity and loyalty. That's why fraternities and other secret societies use it. Yale's Skull and Bones Secret Society has produced some of the most powerful Americans in history, including the Bush political dynasty. According to credible reports, Skull and Bones requires members to masturbate inside coffins and anal simulation, stimulation, I'm sorry, aka sodomy. Pat Fitzgerald is the Prescott Bush of college football. If you follow my analogy, that would make Northwestern whistleblower the Jim Garrison of college football. Garrison was the infamous New Orleans district attorney, the only man to bring charges against the people involved in the assassination of President Kennedy. Chew on that. That is my fire starter. I just somehow analogized Pat Fitzgerald to the assassination of JFK. Hats off to me. I hope, think about that, chew on that. That whole skull and bones, the whole Prescott Bush and his son, George Bush, his great, his great, his grandson, George W. Bush. 
Go look into that Bush dynasty family and their relationship to Skull and Bones and the kind of hazing and compare it to, to Northwestern. Hazing works in a big way and it's generally perverse and it's generally immoral, but it works. Shouldn't be surprised. It was used in Northwestern to build a football in Northwestern's mind, a football dynasty. Uh, anyway, Jason Brown's going to be here to help me discuss this, Steve Kim and TJ Moe. Uh, but before I get to JB, I want to tell you guys about our sponsor and purpose in life, Preborn. It is my prayer that there will come a day when abortion will be abolished. Then we will look back and see the atrocity of what has been done. We're experiencing the impact of abortion in our lives, the breakdown of families, the trauma that comes from a woman being pressured to have an abortion, and the steep decline of morality that justifies this atrocity. How then shall we, shall we respond? Do we stand back and say, this, is, this too shall pass? Or do we rise up and say, I stand for the innocent? Preborn stands for the helpless, and because of your generosity, Preborn is able to offer free ultrasounds to women. Once she hears that heartbeat, the chances of choosing life more than double. And years from now, when your grandchildren ask you, what did you do about abortion, grandpa, grandma? You can say, I saved a life through Preborn. I saved many lives. One ultrasound is just $28 to save a life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or Go to preborn.com slash Jason. That's preborn.com slash Jason. All right, don't go anywhere. Coach JB. It's my obligation to hate discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. All right, this should get interesting. I can't wait to hear uh, Coach Jason Brown, JB, Coach JB from Last Chance U. You guys know him here all the time during football season. We're getting very close to football season again. Great time to bring JB back. This issue right up his alley, a controversy in college football. JB, uh, I don't want to steer you any particular direction. Uh, you, what's, what's your most provocative or interesting thought about this Northwestern scandal? Um, did they do the right thing here, dumping Pat Fitzgerald? No, it's a cowardly act by a Ph.D. holding president and A.D. who was not even in the country, who, by the way, if people don't really realize this, six months ago this investigation was taking place, and then they've given him a two-week suspension AD goes out of the country and decides to fire him. Um, cowardly act. We continue to see it over and over and over. The cancel culture wins again, and uh, it blows my mind. This guy's been there 17 years. Steve Kim came on my show this morning. We brought this up. How many coaches do you know that could have won their division a few times like Pat did? I've known Pat a long time. And how many do you know would leave for the first thing that was a bigger institution? The first thing coming, a bigger power five. Everybody. 
Pat wanted to be at Northwestern. 17 years as the head coach, played there, was a great player, by the way, played for Coach Barnett, I believe, in the 90s. Uh, he wanted to be there. There's not, you can't find that anymore. Uh, most people want to need to be there to get a new job. Pat wanted to be there. It's a slap in the face for the coach that actually gives back to his players like he did. And I got a little insight on this because not only have I had players there who texted me last night who think this is complete BS and a witch hunt. Now you have uh, buddies of mine who coach for, for Pat, uh, a former offensive coordinator for Pat, a black man, by the way, who has come out and said this racial undertone and this racial uh, baiting thing is a complete BS witch hunt because I play, I've coached for Pat. Um, I've been around Pat. This kid named uh, Diaz, Ramon Diaz, came out on his Twitter basically saying Pat Fitzgerald from 2005 to 2008 was racist, racist towards the offensive players. Now, my good friend was the offensive coordinator, a black man, during that same time, recruited Ramon Diaz and said that couldn't be further from the truth. So it is complete BS and it blows my mind that a university that you and I both understand, Jason, just wanted to fire him because he went one and eleven, and he won four games in the last two years. And disagree, disagree. Let's be honest, though. You know damn well they're throwing this guy under the bus, and 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 let's just say, let's just fire him. Don't throw him under the bus and call him racist now. Or, or, or say that he knew there was a... That's the student uh, paper. That That's the student paper doing something irresponsible yeah. and stupid. But, but JB, don't. are you suggesting... Do you, you don't think any of this naked hazing was going on in the locker room? Here's my take on this, and it's very finite because you know the Joe Pod deal and the Penn State issue is very, very... Uh, it's a very, very, you know, slippery slope. And and I do believe Joe Paterno knew. I believe if you're a head coach, CEO, or COO of any corporation, company, or organization, or university football program, you know what's going on under your eyes. I, I don't care what anyone says. If it was happening, I know Pat well enough to where I think he would have addressed it and would have took it up the ladder. I don't believe he's hiding it like Joe Paul and those guys did. I think he would have known. So if it was happening, I believe there is something going on to where it was either so minute that it wasn't either a something to bring up the ladder or B he knew about it was, I'm sure there's been things I didn't know about under my program, but if it was something big, I guarantee you I knew about it or I was going to find out. Same with Pat. I'm pretty sure if it was that big, he would have known about it and would have did something about it. Again, this is a guy who wanted to be there for 17 years. He had many opportunities to leave there, Jason. And I'm just trying to be clear here. Why? If it's your place, you love, you played there, you've coached there 17 years, you've given your all back, you've given back your own money for facilities. Why would you self, uh, you know, sabotage yourself? Like, I, I just, I don't see it from him. Not, not a guy of his character. You, you, I don't. JB, you, you do know hazing works. It does build unity and loyalty. That's why it's hard to get rid of. And so if you're in Northwestern, you're competing against Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State and all these schools that are flush with cash, and you can look the other way as a culture of hazing gives you a competitive advantage over your peers, 
perhaps you intentionally look the other way. Let, let me, let me, because uh, I've, do, I've dove into this quite often and I've seen this before. This isn't the first time that we've had to deal with this either. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to share something with you real quick. Uh, breaking, okay, this happened yesterday. 670 The Score has reported that Northwestern baseball head coach Jim Foster has created now what we call a toxic environment in the program and broken the spirit of the team. The report also said Foster made inappropriate comments about a female staff member. So wait up. Do you think we have an issue at the university led by a guy holding a PhD maybe who should look in the mirror? Or do you think we have a bunch of coaching issues on this university? Why are now all coaches are toxic and we have just a crazy environment at Northwestern all of a sudden? By the way, you got to have a 4.0 to get in. Like, let's be clear here. Are we, what are we really talking about? Are we just soft and we're entering the portal like this kid did Soto, who was a horrible quarterback, walk on kid who didn't play, now has come out and said this guy's racist? Like, which one is it? Is it a guy who doesn't want to compete? and is mad at getting yelled at, or is it a guy that really well, has you're, a- You're mixing up people. Soto is the equipment manager, student staffer that wrote the long letter in support of Pat Fitzgerald. Ramon Diaz is the offensive lineman, Hispanic, that, that said they made him shave Cinco de Mayo into his head. But his allegations were, his allegations were against teammates not against Pat Fitzgerald. There were no, some anonymous black right. players. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. They, there were some anonymous black players that said, oh, man, they asked me to cut my dreadlocks. They're racist. <laughs> just, hey, hold on, no. There, there's, a, there's an alleged uh, ex-quarterback, I, I gave the wrong name, Carl Richardson, who's the whistleblower. Carl Richardson, this. that's the whistleblower, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. You know, we, I apologize, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and the Soto kid was the equipment guy. You're right. And so I'm just trying to figure out, like, the quarterback Richardson was god-awful. Let's just be honest. And the coach didn't want him to – I mean, basically, you can't play here. You're not going to play here. And if you can't play at Northwestern, brother, you're probably not very good in in, in today's age with the NIL and the transfer portal. So let's just be honest. Like, is it really more of a butthurt situation and a pride thing? Or is it where we ha- live in a, in a very, very peculiar era? These guys will throw you under the bus in a New York minute. We're, doing, we're, we're in the era of prank videos for likes and clicks. We're in the, in the, in the era of, uh, you know, jacking Uber drivers and taking their car so we can film it. JB, like- JB, here's a confirmed era that we've been living in for a solid 200 years. Hazing works. Sure does. Hey, it's indisputable. And so sure coaches will be tempted to look away or to promote things that work. Though either if, they're, if they shouldn't be doing them, but it works, and they need that competitive event, they'll look away or they'll promote it. And, and, and I could see a former linebacker at his alma mater thinking, oh, this it's just, you know, uh, it's harmless, it's not a big deal, it's just boys being boys, and I don't know about it, and I don't go in the locker room, and blah, 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 
And a lot of coaches will start out their season and tell the guy, hey, look, guys, don't do hazing. Just don't do it. No, it works. It'll cost me my job. Can't have it, blah, blah, blah. And until I hear a report, if that Soto had come out and said, you know, Pat would start every year, and one of his main speeches was, don't do any hazing. It's no different than when we were kids at Ball State. Every year, we'd have to sit through the same speech from our head coach about don't gamble and don't get involved with gambling, blah, blah, blah. And they'd bring in some expert to talk about, because they didn't want, they wanted to cover their butt, and they wanted to make sure that everybody knew we're all on the same page here, don't gamble. So you don't That's think- That's what you, I haven't heard anyone say that Pat Fitzgerald started every year saying, don't do hazy. So you don't think it has anything to do with him being there 17 years? Nothing's ever been said before. This thing supposedly happened last year. They want to do an investigation now, six months ago. Then they give him a two-week suspension. And by the way, I don't know if you know this or or you're privy to this, but they owe him $20 million, Jason, if if he coaches game one. Do you think that had anything to do with it? Like, let's be honest. We're in an NIL era. The president gave him a two-week suspension which indicated what he really wanted to do. The, the whistleblower upped the ante and forced them to go further. And, and I, I got to look, I don't know if I would have done what the whistleblower did because I, I just, I wouldn't have participated in any kind of naked hazing. And when they told me you got to do some kind of quarterback center exchange with a naked guy, <laughs> not here, bro. <laughs> Miss me with that. And again, that's not me just being a tough guy. That's not me being. A, that's just like there was lines in the sand that I. You just yeah. not gonna get me to cross. Yeah. And, but, and so I, I can't say I would have done what this guy did, but I'm not going to knock this guy for squealing about it, because and I there was too many other players that confirmed it, and and I, I can't deny it. And Pat Fitzgerald's an idiot for allowing it. JB, have you dove into the eleven players that have? came forward no i'm sure they're all disgruntled well they're not only disgruntled it ain't the starting qb the left tackle the starting mike backer the starting dn they're scrubs they're nobodies they're walk-ons they're guys that got cussed out because they're horrible guess who knows about this jason this guy (laughs) me hi I think I've been there. I've been in these locker rooms. By the way, this locker room that you played in, just like I did, just like everyone we know, it once was the most intimate setting in the world, wasn't it? Where you dealt with it as men, and you kept things in-house. And if it was that extreme, then it probably came out. I don't care if it was in 81 or 2001. It was going to come out if it was that bad. If it wasn't that bad... It stayed in-house and probably made the team better and camaraderie was built, as you stated. So this whole thing, the ironic time drop of this whole thing to me is why it's a witch hunt, in my opinion. Knowing Pat personally, his character doesn't allow this. He, he would have got to it. He would have found out. Uh, I don't believe this thing was that big of a deal. I think they've blown it out of proportion because of who the 11 people are. Like, let's, if it's a starting quarterback and the starting quarterback from 10 years ago, and if it was the, the Mike Backer who won Rose Bowls and stuff, okay, we got a problem. But if it's these scrubs who are entering the portal anytime they can anyway, 
Why not take someone down on their way out? That's what they do now. They want to do it on, they want likes and clicks. They want to be on Jason Whitlock's show. Come on, man. This is unbelievable. <laughs> JB, I, you know, I'm going to call Darnell after tonight's, after today's show and, and make sure you're not doing any hazing of Darnell. Uh, hey, by the way, somebody I, 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 I see. Somebody went up to you, uh, yeah. 610 Radio, Kansas City, hung up on me about three months ago, and then they tried to bring me back on, and I told them to pound sand, basically, and then they still went on and did a whole show about me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, JB. Good All job, right. as always. I knew I'd get a different take out of JB. I wasn't expecting that take, but I knew I'd get a different take out of him. He's got my man Darnell Smith working with him on his show now, and I... Darnell, if, if JB asks you to remove your clothes, don't do it, bro. I got your back. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me tell you guys about uh, our good friends, Naturally It's Clean. It provides effective cleaning products using powerful plant-based enzymes. These are hospital-grade solutions that won't reek of nasty chemicals. Bob Vila says Naturally It's Clean has the most eco-friendly carpet stain remover on the market today. I personally love these products. You've seen it, I've given them to my mom, I got them in my own house. If you go to my Instagram page, I did a video, me and my mom using Naturally It's Clean. I love everything about Naturally It's Clean. The products are manufactured right here in the US of A. They offer free two-day shipping on all cleaning kits. Their essential starter kit, which features four of their most popular products, is one of their top selling items. My audience can get an additional 15% off for a limited time by visiting naturallyitsclean.com fearless. Keep your home clean and support companies like Naturally It's Clean while you do it because they support you and your conservative values. They support our biblical values. I've had Win Fisher here, conversation with him. He's one of us. He thinks like us. He supports what we think. You have an opportunity to clean your house with a product, with a company that supports you and your values. Plus, the product is amazing. It's better than all the other cleaning products out there that you've got at the store. Naturally, it's clean slash fearless. Jason's Essential Starter Kit by visiting naturallyitsclean.com slash fearless. Naturally, it's clean.com slash fearless. Uh, you can email me and us, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. All right, we heard from a college coach. Now let's hear from a former college football player, TJ Moe. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, welcome back. Let's roll out. Well, you know, TJ's actually in Dallas today. Let's roll down to Dallas and bring in, or out to Dallas, and bring in TJ Moe, played football at the University of Missouri, 
Can't wait to hear TJ's take uh, on Pat Fitzgerald. TJ, do you think Northwestern did the right thing here? I do. I just, I think negligence uh, in today's day and age is kind of an ultimate sign of stupidity. It's like these coaches are fighting for their lives, trying to keep players in-house, trying, like, you, you can't be on the wrong side of the Me Too movement. You can't be on the wrong side of hazing. All of this stuff is so heightened in the era of social media. And the fact that he allowed this to go on, I just tell you, tells you he, he hasn't learned that we've moved into a new era. I mean, I just I can't imagine a guy like Nick Saban allowing this sort of thing to go on. The guys that are so hyper aware of the intricacies of college football and what matters and how to keep your job. And, you know, Pat Fitzgerald's a really good coach. He's been around for a long time. And, you know, this stuff started, meaning the change of the Me Too stuff didn't come until the last 10 years or so, probably. But the changes and what was allowable in the culture of a locker room started changing when I was in high school. Paul Day, my high school football coach, the first day that we walked in, he said, there will be no hazing. I will lose my job over this. He told us that there is one problem. He's happy to lose his job over it because what he would do to the people that were hazing. He wasn't having it. The same thing happened when I walked into Mizzou, the first meeting. Hey, guys, we don't do any hazing around here. And the reason being is because we need these guys. This is in the era of when freshmen went from scout teamers to beginning to start to be able to help the football team. And so it wasn't like you could just abuse anybody on the team. Like Doriel Green Beckham, who was the number one receiver in the country, played a lot of football for us as a freshman. And he was like, you think I'm going to allow you to come in here and abuse these kids that we need? They're not going to be scared of you. It's like in the old days, they may have had time to recover and grow into the you know sophomore, junior, um, and get over it. We need these guys. You can't go from hazing them in August to starting in the football game in September. Bill Belichick did the same thing. So the worst thing you're going to do to these guys is make them carry your pad. I don't want to see it. We need all these guys. And this is a guy who routinely started undrafted rookies. And so he, all of these guys were just aware, not only do we need these guys, that culture is not acceptable here. And so we're not going to put up with it. And so I, I'm just in 2023, that Pat Fitzgerald did not make that abundantly clear to his guys. That's a real problem. What do you think of his claims? I didn't know anything about it. I don't go into the locker room. That's the player's safe space. I didn't know the speed limit was 20. I didn't mean to go 90. It's like ignorance <laughs> is not an excuse for allowing, you know, you're, you're the head guy. You don't get to say, I didn't know what was going on. You have to know what's going on. And also it's just, look, it is a lie. I know a lot of these coaches will tell you, Hey, I can't know everything, but the best coaches do know everything. And Pat Fitzgerald is one of those best coaches. You don't get to be a perennial top 25 team. I know he had a rough year last year. Northwestern has been a perennial top 25 team for a while. They are in the thick of things. You don't get to be that without being a micromanager. These college football coaches, it's particularly at Northwestern where they don't have the best recruits. They, he had to overcome things to win there. And so I just don't believe it's he didn't. He didn't go the JUCO route in the old days. He hasn't gone the transfer portal route and brought in a whole bunch of five stars to win 
and just hope everything works out. He has had to coach these guys up. That means he knows everything about them. It means he knows their motivations. That means he had check-in meetings with them before and after every season to see how they were doing because he knew he had to take a low-level three-star kid and make him perform like a high-level four-star kid if they were going to compete in the Big Ten. And he did it for years. So I don't buy it. He knew exactly what was going on. Also, the thing I don't buy is that players in those exit and entry meetings that you had before and at the end of the year, that no one snitched, that no one told him what was going on. I don't buy that because players do snitch. I, I can remember, uh, you know, our, our players, I wasn't involved, but the older players were very frustrated with our quarterback because he smoked too much weed. And they told the coach and, and at the end of the year. And, and we basically the next year moved on from the guy and played the younger guy uh, because, you know, the players just they thought he was, you know, his addiction to weed was costing us games. And so they squealed on him. I, 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 I think that is commonplace. And you can't convince me that 100 guys in that locker room, no one said, hey, man, you know, they're dry humping guys and doing some really weird sexual stuff in the locker room, Coach. You may want to take a look at that. It's hard for me to believe no one said a word. I was that guy. I think I've told you this story off air before. My freshman year, I, look, I was a nobody. I was from St. Louis. I, I didn't redshirt but should have. Played, you know, 1% of the downs. I, I was a nobody and, and well aware of that. But I cared about my team, and I cared about my future, and I cared about my school, and I cared about my teammates. So after freshman year, we had that you know, post-year interview. And most guys came in, and Coach Finkel would sit across the desk and say, you know, how's everything? Everything good? You know, it's a nice day outside, nice spring. All right, good. And they would be 30-second meetings. And that's pretty much how it should be for freshmen, because freshmen shouldn't have much to say. Uh, but I did. And so I walked in. I said, Coach I know I'm a nobody, but I have eyes. And so I'm just telling you, we got some problems. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I named several guys. Um, I won't tell you all of them here. One of them I will. Derek Washington is a guy who later on that year, and look, I liked Derek, but he had some inappropriate behavior. And it was very clear that he thought he was invincible at the time. And I'm like, I'm just telling you, we're gonna, we're gonna be in some trouble with these guys. And I named, you know, him, Michael Sam, who drank a lot of alcohol um, and, and got into, I mean, there, there was a couple different times. Um, I, I pulled Michael Sam out of traffic before he got hit by a truck. He was so drunk, stumbled in the middle of the highway. So there was just, there were things that I saw. And I told Coach Finkel this stuff. I'm like, man, I'm just telling you, we got problems. And Coach Finkel said, man, I don't think we're any different than any other college. I said, maybe, but then we all got some real trouble. And so... Didn't say much. We did actually put Michael Sam uh, into some treatment at that point. I, he got a little bit of help. Um, come the, we had a good spring. Come the, uh, you know, it's probably August. We're, we're through two days. We had gotten four DUIs from a couple starters. One from our coaches. Dirk Washington went to prison for digital rape. Um, and, you know, we did get Michael Sam some help. And everything that I had told him came to be. It's like, we got problems. Our guys are drinking too much. Our guys are doing crazy things. I'm just talking, maybe I'm the weird one. And it turns out I, I was the weird one. 
But I'm just telling you, we're going to have some problems. And look, one of the guys who got a DUI was one of my three best friends in school. And I still talk to him. Um, Will Ebner is a great guy, but he's drinking too much. He got behind the wheel and got a DUI for it. So anyway, all that to say, there's probably a me at most of these schools that are willing to say something even when they shouldn't. I probably should have kept my mouth shut at Mizzou as a freshman. If you, if you haven't played, you, you shouldn't say more words than plays you've played, right? That's a good rule of thumb. Um, I said far more words than plays that I actually played my freshman year. But I told him what was going on. And, you know, we were able to, after that, actually, the, the best part of that story is at the end of my sophomore year, uh, when we had that check-in, then, you know, I had had a pretty good year as a starter that year. He said, you got anything to tell me? Because it, it would be nice to get ahead of this. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can just picture my teammates uh, going in. You know, Whitlock, uh, if, he does, <laughs> if he's not bonging 12 beers, He's bong 12 Big Macs. Coach, you got to do something about it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I think they didn't have a choice. I think they tried to avoid firing Pat Fitzgerald. They produced him. He graduated from their university. You know, most successful coach. The president tried his best. And, and what do you think of my assertion that the whistleblower – who, you know, has been called out and named over Twitter, a guy named Carl Richardson. I, I think the guy's heroic. I, I really do. I, I think that uh, he stood up to the bully and, and, you know, did, you know, it won't be popular. He'll pay a price. He'll be ostracized. He'll be ridiculed. But I think what he did is heroic. Am I wrong? I don't know if you're wrong. It's, it's very hard to know people's intentions. And so was he, you know, like the point JB was making, is he just a disgruntled former player that, you know, had a bone to pick with Pat? Who knows? Um, I will say it's a good outcome because it's not acceptable behavior. I was never, because of the teams and truly because of the great coaches that I had, I had an unbelievable coach at every level because of those great coaches. I never experienced hazing. I never participated in it on either side was never asked to. I was never in a fraternity. So I've never even been around hazing. That stuff is appalling to me. So I don't, like, I will take your word for it that it works. I haven't looked into it enough to know either direction. I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm just saying I've never even been around it. No team I've ever been on. And so people say there's bonding stuff. I don't understand it, having never been uh, associated with it in any way. You know, there was, there was, there were, in high school, there were guys that approached it, and you would have think they just committed murder the way my coach responded to them. So I don't know anything about that. I'm just saying there are better ways to bond with people than getting them naked in the locker room and forcing them to do some pretty ridiculous things that they'll remember the rest of their lives. I agree, but TJ, like, t t you know, uh, military basic training used to just be organized, controlled hazing. And uh, from the shaving of heads, all, all, all of it just was just a different form of hazing. And if you look at fraternities, and, and I can speak most authentically about black fraternities, the tradition of hazing and the kind of loyalty and bond that it makes among those guys that all pledge on the same group, same line, it, it's, it's, 
it's undefeated. And and then again, if you and and that's what one of the reasons I made the point about skull and bones at Yale. Those guys basically take a blood oath and they call themselves brothers by blood or blood or brothers under the skin or whatever. And I mean, they do some weird stuff. They get in coffins and masturbate and get sodomized and, you know, and <laughs> it breeds a loyalty that, you know, is nearly unbreakable. And and so it, it, it works. And that's why uh, it's tolerated it sometimes. And. No, not at all. Not, no. I'm not saying, I'm not, but, but, but that's what people resort to when they can't compete. When Michigan's getting five stars and you're getting two and a half stars, hey, I wonder if we can build a stronger culture than Michigan. And I know a shortcut to building loyalty and a bond among my players. Yeah, and that's why it's actually a really bad thing that we have stepped in front of coaches because there, there was a time where it could be players versus coaches, and that bond came from banding together against the jerks who are forcing us to practice this hard and forcing us to do into these two-a-days, and today wasn't good enough, so we're going to do three practices today. And even when I was in college, we only had five two-a-days, and three of those were built in that we were going to the movies, the pool, and we had some other activity, and we knew it every year. We had two two-a-days the entire year. This is, look, this is before we've gone super woke and crazy. This is 2009, and we already knew it. And this is from an old school coach, Gary Pinkle, who's a college football Hall of Famer, who, who I mean, he grew up during the time where you did real two-a-days, and again, if it wasn't good enough, you did three-a-days. And that was where the real bonding came. You know, I actually remember, 2010, I, I will stick to this because we were not the most talented team. I mean, look, I was a leading receiver on that team. That tells you how talented we are. But we were we started the season 7-0, beat the number one team in the country in Oklahoma, and we lost two games we probably shouldn't have or we would have actually been in the running for the national championship. Not an ultra-talented team. But those two-a-days in Missouri that year were so hot. It was 100 and 203, 104 degrees. And our coaches didn't care. And every day we had to go out there. I remember taking steps and every, my shoes were so heavy filled with sweat. I would take a step and the sweat would bubble out of my shoes and pour out in my cleats. And we would, it was the only time I've ever walked back to the line and my coaches didn't yell at me. It's the only time in my life. And I swear to you that those string of practices, two weeks or so, built us into a tougher team that bonded together and allowed us to overcome things we wouldn't have done. And so you have to have that adversity that you go through it together. The reason I don't like hazing is because it turns the people that you need the most against you. I don't love that. Certainly, it's like I don't want to walk into the locker room and be afraid of the juniors and seniors. That doesn't seem right to me. I want those guys to be on my team against Maybe it's manufactured against the coaches who have to be against you in order to create this. Maybe it's just you against the world. I, I've never walked into a locker room and been afraid of my teammates, and I can't imagine how bad that would be. It, I texted a former coach, a college coach of mine, and was lamenting, like, with this transfer portal, we used to, do, we used to have these things when I played called help sessions that they were to help remind you of to what you're supposed to do. 
And I used to get, I, I mean, I just got a laundry list. I was always on the help session list. And the help session like started at 5.30 a.m. on a Saturday. And it just, you did burpees for like an hour. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, well, you can't do help sessions anymore because of the transfer portal. Can't give guys the help they need. And <laughs> it's, it's, you know, if uh, the coaches live your, if your cell phone went off in Coach Finkel's meeting, you had what they called three legged dogs. All right. It's, it's bear crawls, but you only get to use one leg, 10,000 yards. And that was your bit. Until you got done, you weren't practicing anymore. If your phone rang in the meeting. So we used to have real punishments. We used to have like real 6 a.m., they called them boards, where you had a two by four and you would have to put it on the ground on turf. It's, you know, two by four is not gonna move on turf very well. And you had to sprint there and back as many times until the coach decided you were done with that and that you had learned your lesson. There was like real times, real punishment, it was good. <laughs> it was a time where the punishment needs to, to, to make it so you don't wanna do the crime again. And there was a time where we could do that. And now it's just like, Throw your hands. I'll give you another good example of how we tried to bend this rule because of good players. Now, this is before the transfer portal, but Sheldon Richardson, again, guy that I like, was a little more irresponsible than I would have preferred. Um, he refused to go to class. And so we had, in order to stay eligible, right, it's like we would get reports from all of our teachers, just who was in class, who wasn't, people, particularly people who had lower grades. We, we got daily stuff from all of their teachers. Were they in class? How many times this week? What are they doing? And Sheldon, who was, look, Sheldon's already made more money than I'll ever make in my life. He's playing successful. And so he was well aware he was about to be a first round pick and he was. Um, but Sheldon wouldn't go to class. And this is the end of 2012. And we actually assigned one of our GAs to him in a golf cart to pick him up to go to every single class and take him to class. And eventually one time he just didn't go and we had to suspend him against Syracuse. And that's likely the reason we lost that game. And it's like, we actually went through with the suspension. It was a stupid idea to, to act like he was so special that we could go to his house, pick him up on a golf cart, drop him off at his class and wait outside the class. That was his whole job, this poor GA. Manure Prince, who was a, a Manure Prince, one of the fastest human beings I've ever seen. Went to Dismet High School, played at Mizzou with us. Unbelievably nice human being. But it's like, hey, man, you're a GA. We're not teaching you football. You're on Sheldon duty today. And he had to go wait outside this class until Sheldon was done. And then he'd take him back home or he'd take him to the next class. And so anyway, the, there were days where we did that. Eventually, we had to suspend him. We played Syracuse without Sheldon, lost that game. That's what we didn't get into a bowl game because of that. And so anyway, back when there were consequences. Today, you would just say, don't worry about it. Stay eligible. If the NCAA says you're eligible, you're eligible here, and, and you'll be fine. Thank you, TJ. Great job, as always. Appreciate it. Uh, hey, as the presidential primaries get underway, it's crucial that the candidates address the issues that Christians care most deeply about. That's why I'm excited to tell you that Blaze Media is teaming with the Family Leader, a pro-family, pro-marriage, pro-life organization, to host the summit, the first presidential forum of the election season. And here's the best part. The event is going to be moderated by none other than Tucker Carlson. Join us this Friday in Iowa as Tucker sits down one-on-one -on -one with each one of the candidates to ask them the questions Christian voters want to hear answered. And when he's done interviewing the candidates, Glenn Beck will join Tucker on stage for an exclusive interview just for our Blaze TV subscribers. You're not going to want to miss this, so head on over now to Blaze Media 
summit.com to subscribe and use the code summit for 30% off your subscription. Remember, you'll need to be a subscriber to watch Glenn's interview with Tucker. So go to blazemediasummit.com and use the code summit to save. All right, get your fearless army swag at shopblazemedia.com. The Korean Coast sales Steve Kim next. Okay, we've heard from a college coach, former college player. Now we get to hear from uh, one of the great sports minds. Oh, you know, you've already heard from me. Well, okay, we'll still hear from Steve Kim. The Korean Cosell. Uh, Cosell, what do you think about Pat Fitzgerald getting fired at Northwestern. You're a huge college football junkie. I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're doing naked hazing at the University of Miami. That's what the, the U stands for, something really terrible. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, your take on Pat Fitzgerald getting fired. Did Northwestern do the right thing? No. You, 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 I mean, honestly, I, I, read, I read your column. I, I mean, you take a two-week vacation from my show put me away from my audience who misses me and Whitlock. I don't even know who you are anymore. You have become the very word. Your offensive line coach once screamed at you at ball state. That weren't you a better man because that happened. Do you want that taken away? You know what? In the immortal words of Logan Roy to paraphrase him, we are not serious people anymore. Look, I'm just going to make this clear. The sexual stuff and all that other stuff that's out of bounds. That needs to be curbed. But on a serious note, Jason, I have a question. Is Pat Fitzgerald being punished to this degree because the Northwestern's original decision was too light? That's the question that I have. I mean, again, if they're going to make that decision, stand on it. But I have a question. If they really had all this evidence and they believe they had a two-week suspension, okay, but why suddenly do you go from giving a parking ticket for jaywalking to now the death sentence? I don't get it, Jay. Really, explain this to me. Okay, let's say that after the OJ verdict in the original trial, let's say the jury came out the next day and said, damn it, we made a mistake. We meant, we tallied the votes wrong, and if we recalculated and he's guilty, would you complain? Would you complain that they reached the right decision later? And so the school president, it took him some time, but he eventually reached the right decision. No. Oh, Mike, you're going to really compare this to the OJ verdict in a jury trial. Uh, this is, this is what's so It was dangerous. just an analogy. Okay, yeah, terrible one at that. I, I mean, you really slashed that one, uh, <laughs> pun fully intended. But here's the thing. Anytime the mainstream media or a student paper nowadays, because everyone hates sports. They hate the whole process and the foundation of football. And anytime one player or a few disgruntled players out of hundreds of thousands says, well, my experience wasn't great, I have a huge issue with this. And if I am a Northwestern supporter, whether I'm a player, a booster, a fan who stands behind Pat Fitzgerald, I hope they fight back. I hope they pull their funding. I hope they cancel season seats. I hope all these guys transfer. I think this was a weak limp-wristed decision, bowing to public pressure. 
and political correctness. Honestly, I am not saying that Pat Fitzgerald did not deserve some sort of punishment, but to all of a sudden go from two weeks, but hey, fall camp starts, you got media days, to you're gone? No. And by the way, this is going to hurt Northwestern a lot more than it hurts Pat Fitzgerald. There's no other man on the face of the earth, and I'm not being hyperbolic here. Everyone else looks at a job like Northwestern as a stepping stone. For Pat Fitzgerald, that was a destination job, and I would say given the circumstances of that program, I thought he did an admirable job in 17 years. Let me rephrase my question then. Let me rephrase my question. Just give me a yes or no. Do you believe they were doing naked hazing inside the Northwestern locker room? Uh, yes, that's been proven. I'm not arguing that. And I think that is out of bounds. I, I, I equate hazing to like What hey, should kid. the repercussions be then? If, if that was going on, okay, Again, do you he, believe Pat Fitzgerald? Do you believe Pat Fitzgerald knew nothing about the naked no, hazing going on in his locker room? That's where he should have cut it off saying, hey, guys, any hazing has to have non-sexual stuff, and everyone has to have their clothes on. When I think of hazing, I think of guys like, hey, freshmen, you pick up all the bags. You're buying the pizza this weekend. Or you know what? You're making the beer run. That's what I think of hazing. And, and But look, that's a part of football. Let me you tell you what you just sounded like. Let me tell what? you what you just sounded like what? when you said it. Like a great look, leader. Like he needed to establish some rules. He needed to have some rules. Guys, if you're going to do that, everybody has to be wearing a condom at least. Now, <laughs> that's... <laughs> Do we want safe sex or not? But anyway, I'm kidding. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, all right. You, you brought up the you, the dear old you for me. Let me tell you a story. Yeah. I was told this story by Najee Davenport, and it was confirmed by Brett Romberg. I spoke to these guys personally, two starters on the legendary 2001 team. In one of those seasons leading up to that season, as their Butch Davis is building the program, they had an off-season conditioning run by the players, and there was this one player during the gassers, which is I think is like 1,210-yard dashes. One offensive lineman, I'm not going to name his name, just dogged it. Didn't care. He quit. And so he just kind of like threw in the towel that day. And I was told that the players that showed up that day, they waited for him. They waited for him in the locker room, and they kind of did full metal jacket. They beat this guy to, not to death, but you know what? It built character. It was team bonding. And that's football. It's not perfect. Jay, I cannot believe you've become this bleeding heart. I'm reading this article, and my eyes are turning ra- My eyes were turning around. I'm like, what is this? Steve, Steve. Come on. Steve, if, if they had done Full Metal Jacket, I wouldn't have written the column that I wrote. They're stripping down naked, doing sexualized, dry-humping people. All this I mean, it's like, hey, I'm man. With- Look. You think some of my teammates in college weren't mad at me because I didn't work out as hard as I could have? Yes. And th- did some guys want to fight me? Yes. You know, thankfully I was the strongest guy on the team and nobody was stupid. But regardless, it, it, it I get, they crossed the line did. with this nudity, they- depravity, and perversion. And you And Pat Fitzgerald knew it. I can't say he knew all the details, but he knew that hazing worked because it does. Yes. And he looked the other way, and I don't blame the university for saying, hey, man, looking the other way, you've put us in a lot of jeopardy 
we're going to be opened up to some lawsuits and it could cost us a lot of money and embarrass us. You tack on the Joe Paterno aspect of this. This is we got to move on. We got to fire you. I personally, if I'm running Northwestern, I say, okay, a year, a year, learn your lesson. And I would have had anti-hazing. I would have had like strict rules. And I would have said, hey, this is it. It, It's now uh, zero tolerance. But this guy is, and again, I know some people think it doesn't matter, but I I think it, it certainly does to a certain degree. Pat Fitzgerald is literally their most decorated football player who's done an unbelievably good job of shepherding one of the toughest programs in the country. And because of him, and and this is the greatest tribute I can pay to Pat Pat Fitzgerald, they are now actually investing into football, taking new facilities, a new fancy stadium, and that's still a very tough program. I don't think they do a lot of NIL. They don't really do the transfer portal. And academically, get this, they actually get real students. So, you know, it's not an easy job. It's basically the Stanford of the Big Ten. I I am not going out there and defending Pat Fitzgerald just a blanket. You're right. Some of that stuff does not have place in any locker room or any setting. But, again, I go back to this. Why did they they go from uh, two weeks to you're gone? Something there does not add up to me. Whitlock, I, I, I'm telling you, it's just, I don't know. Just I, I, I think you're spending way too much time moonlighting with JB, and he's oh, uh, yeah, right. distorting your worldview and opinion. You're, you sound as crazy as JB. I am glad we're on the right side, because we are on the right side of history, because that's what's important. And we are going to stand on our square. I can't believe this, Jason. You have now basically become... Like the soft school president that doesn't like sports and oh, football's so mean. And do we have to tackle all the time? Get, I don't, I'm just, what happened to you, Whitlock? I mean, back in June, you were not this guy. Come July, good grief. Oh my God. <laughs> good Lord. I'm just, I, I don't know. They're stripping no guys down naked, making them do quarterback center exchange, man. Okay, again, uh, that's where I draw the line. Uh, that's where I draw the line. When, 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 they're, when they're doing the dildo gauntlet, I, I'm like, hey, guys, time out. Time out. We're not doing that. Time out. Make these guys carry your shoulder pads off the field. You know, in fact, you know what? Um, all, all you Asian walk-ons, you guys do the homework for the starters. Come on. Let's get <laughs> the great point up here. We all got to be eligible. I get it. But I just, again... There's going to be a cost to Northwestern because that is not an easy or relatively attractive job, Jason. It's just not. Steve, I'm letting you go. Why? You've done enough damage here. You've <laughs> felt done like enough I was damage. Hazed. It felt like I was hazed you, during you, this you, segment. I'll tell you that much. Jeez. You, you've, you've done enough damage. I'm like letting you go. You. Thank you so much. Like Great job. <laughs> uh, plus, I, I, I got to get to Pearl. Pearl... We're going to, Pearl is about to join us on the show. You guys know Pearl from Pearly Things. She's a YouTuber who has exploded, has like a million and a half subs on YouTube. The stuff she's been saying recently about uh, (laughs) repealing the 19th Amendment and taking women's right to vote away has made news all over Twitter and all over social media. Uh, She made some comment (laughs) about you know, women aren't as hot or they're uglier in their 30s than they are in their 20s. And 
that triggered a lot of women, including conservative women. And so I've been wanting uh, to get to know who Pearl is. Uh, she, she reminds me of a younger version of myself. I used to be the same way and people responded in much the same way they're responding to her. They're being triggered and upset. Uh, I find her fascinating and interesting. She's just 26. Uh, she, people compare her to Kevin Samuels or Andrew Tate. Um, anyway, one of the most interesting people in the internet space. She's going to join us next live from uh, the UK. She's over in London playing volleyball, I think. But uh, we'll get to the bottom of that and let her explain herself next. It's my obligation to hate discrimination Raising up your hands for freedom Alright, welcome back And without further ado You just listen to me gush all about our next guest Pearly Things And so we're going to get right into it We're going to go across the pond And welcome Pearly Things to Fearless Pearl, uh, welcome And I, you know, I just want to get right to it who are you? Where did you come from? Where, <laughs> I, 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 you're living over in London. How did you get there? Are you an American? Give me a little bit of your background. Wow. Okay. That's a very, very broad question, but I'll start from the beginning. So I'm, I'm from um, a Chicago suburb and I, I have nine siblings. I'm from Chicago. Um, and then I went to London to play volleyball. So I was recruited to play volleyball and I was supposed to actually go pro in the fall, but then the YouTube stuff took off. So I was like, I'll just do that. And so you recruited out of high school to go play volleyball in London or out of college? Out of college. So, uh, well, I and worked in, went... so, sorry, go ahead. No. And so where'd you play college volleyball at? You, I, you were a very good high school volleyball player and a scholarship volleyball player someplace? Yeah, I played at Elmhurst College. It's a small school by Chicago. Gotcha. And you studied journalism, history, English? No, nothing. Uh, <laughs> I studied badminton, on what? No, economics and business administration. And you wanted to do what? Um, I worked in sales for two years. And then I quit that to, I told my parents I was going to be a TikToker. And then I was recruited to play volleyball in England. And then I started the show there. And you wanted to be a TikToker. You're, a, you're this college athlete studying finance and you hatched the dream of being a TikToker. Why did you want to be a TikToker? Who, what inspired you to go that route? Uh, well, I had like um, a whole, um, I don't know, I've always just loved media. Like I've always just really liked media and um, I don't know, I, I, I loved Ben Shapiro, I loved Jordan Peterson, I loved, um, uh, Candace Owens was great too. So I just always liked media, but I had like one TikTok that went viral and I just like quit my job. <laughs> Women. What was like that? What was that video? <laughs> it had nothing to do with what I'm doing now. It was, 
My dad bought like a water slide from a water park. Yeah. And so he like built it in our backyard and it was a whole, it's kind of a long story, but to, to make it short, basically there was a fight to get the water slide up with the town because they wanted to stop us. And we're true conservatives. You know what I mean? We're like, how can you tell us we can't put up our water slide? Do you know what I mean? It's like, um, I brought, I bought this water slide to have the ultimate amount of fun and they were trying to stop us. And so we had to fight the town to put up our water slide and yeah, then we did. And so that TikTok video launches this career where people call you the female Andrew Tate, people call you the white female Kevin Samuels, uh, what, how would you describe yourself? Um, it's a good question. I, I would just say that I, I run a show about relationships. You know, um, I, I love Andrew Tate and I was a huge Kevin Samuels fan. I was on Kevin Sam Samuels show. So I take it as a compliment, but I, I think both of them do such good work. I, I feel like, yeah, it's a compliment. So were you on Kevin Samuel's show just as someone that called in or were you already a bit of a personality and he invited you on the show? No, I just called in one day. <laughs> so <laughs> this is what I, is so fascinating about you is that you, people watching you, listening to you is like, this is the stereotypical suburban white girl in America. How does she even know about Kevin Samuels? Why is she even watching Kevin Samuels? How, how did that connect? What, what, what sparked that interest? Oh, he was hilarious. He would just like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he would just like dunk on these chicks all the time. They're so nutty. I was like, this is so funny. Um, and I thought his stuff was really helpful, to be honest, and just like learning how men think. Um, so I thought it was helpful as a, as a chick. But I'll tell you, the first show I saw of his, I was triggered. I was. I was absolutely triggered. Not when I called in. I was post-triggering. But he was talking about high-value men. And I, he was listing out the categories. And I was like, oh, my gosh, my dad's all those categories. And then he was like, high-value men cheat. I was like, what? I was like, I was triggered. I was like, my dad does no such thing. But, you know, then I kept watching his content because I was kind of like hooked. Um, yeah, and then I, I just thought it was really good. And so you start out kind of TikToking about nothing. And, and it seems like you have over the past year, maybe even the past six months, like discovered like, no, this is my lane, this is what I'm leaning into. As it relates and here in the past few months, you've been very critical of the feminist movement. And, and I've heard you already mention that your family is conservative and, and you're, I have to assume, conservative. And so I'm wondering, if, were you familiar with Rush Limbaugh at all? And does that help explain any of your anti-feminist views? No, I've heard his name a lot. I listened to Rolo Tomasi a good amount. 
And I think he, like, I think he kind of came from that school thought because I've heard of Rush Limbaugh, Limbaugh, but I've never actually listened Limbaugh. to his stuff. Sorry, I don't, I don't know him, but um, I've heard the name, but no, I don't listen to his stuff. No, okay, I actually think I'm more conservative than most conservatives. I think I'm like an extremist. Yeah. I would think many people over the past couple of months would would agree with that. When you start talking about uh, taking away the right to vote for women, and and yes. it's like when you first say that, it makes your mouth drop. But then when someone like me thinks about it, it makes total sense. It really does. I wrote a piece six seven months ago about. Uh, that what we've done with the vote is we've disempowered the family. And that women used to not vote because the vote actually represented the family. Now the vote represents individuals. And so, you know, I read your tweets and see some of your videos and, and I, I'm like, hold on, this woman is really well researched and has a conviction to her beliefs that I think some people are underestimating. And, and, and it makes me, and not in a disrespectful or suspicious way, but just in like wanting to know way, is there, is there someone mentoring you, helping you, uh, or, or is this all just 26-year-old Pearl doing her own research and talking with her own friend group and, and oh, just leaning into her worldview. I wish I could find a friend group that didn't think women should vote. That would be the best friend group ever. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. It's just like a rabbit hole. Like once you go down it. Okay. Because I first started researching the anti-suffragettes, right? And I found out only 5% of women like wanted to vote. And I thought that was weird. And then I started thinking like, what are women better at than men? I could, I, I've been, I've been researching for months. I can't think of anything. Um, yeah. And I, it just is like a rabbit hole. You start to look up like, cause then I was like, do men pay the majority of the taxes? I was like, oh my gosh, they do. They do the majority of the infrastructure. They're the majority of the military. I was like every business that we need in society, they run, which I've heard from, uh, you know, a couple different people. But then I realized they, they pay the majority of the taxes. We're the ones in debt. And I realized that the liberal women were the ones that all the politicians are catering for because, okay, I'm sorry. I know this is a long-winded answer, but I started doing a divorce documentary and I couldn't believe all these guys that were just getting screwed over in court. It was crazy. These men, there were, I, I read texts of men that the women was trying to get the man to hit her so she could get a free lawyer crazy. She still got primary custody. So I'm like, why is this whole system discriminating against men? Why is there this me too problem? Why is there this problem of like these false accusations, these HR departments that are catering towards the women, all these grants that are catering towards the women, all the schools that are catering towards the women. Like, why do we have this whole system built towards women? The vote, because women vote and none of the politicians can win without the women voting. And that was how I came to that conclusion. Are you religious? That was the other question that has floated across my mind. Are you a Christian? Are you a believer? 
So I'm a Catholic, but I would say I'm like, I'm maybe like a once a monther. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put myself in like the best, you know, you know, Catholic, but I'd say like, you know, once a month I'll go to church. <laughs> so so we're, I don't know where that you makes do, me fall. Well, I'm just one, you know, a lot of things you say are consistent with a biblical worldview, but I never hear you talk about God. And that's what made me say, well, how can she know these things and believe these things so strongly if she doesn't have a biblical worldview? But, but I guess you can, or maybe you do. Look, when I was your age, uh, you know, I grew up in Baptist church, Protestant, uh, and, and was off into the world and having success and didn't go to church, didn't read my Bible, but I had grown up in the church and, and I didn't realize until I got much older, like, oh, the reason I think all of these things are because of my religious upbringing, that I had a biblical worldview, even though I was not a practicing Christian. And, and so part of me looks at you and thinks that she doesn't know it yet, but she has a very biblical worldview and the truth that you're looking for, you're going down these rabbit holes, they're all in the Bible. You don't have to look much further in the Bible. But I'm not telling you to believe that now. I'm telling you that as you continue to search for the truth, you're going to figure that out. Yeah, I, I agree. I did 12 years of Catholic school. And how do uh, you feel about all the blowback that you seem to be getting? You've upset a lot of women by saying they're not as hot at 35 as they are at 25. Uh, and, and that's one of the things that you say that I actually quibble with a little bit. I, I don't think a woman reaches her full beauty peak until her 30s, but that's just a small disagreement. The, the overall gist of what you're saying, I think is true, but how do you feel about, and, and that's the other thing that impressed me, how you kind of stand in the pocket and, and don't back down uh, from your critics, but how are you dealing with all the criticism that goes along with having such strong opinions? Oh, I think it's funny. That was the funniest week on Twitter ever. All these ladies tweeting me their pictures. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the critics, it, it, I just think it comes with the territory. If you're going to be on the Internet, you're going to be criticized. Um, but back to the for the beauty thing, it, it doesn't really matter if you think women um, are the most like beautiful in their 30s, because like from a fertility point of view, men are like biologically predispositioned to like younger women. They've even done it on like scent tests. I certainly am aware that, you know, men like younger women and I'll plead guilty uh, to <laughs> that. And, you know, my dating history speaks to all of that. It, but but I, I, I you've hit women in their funny bone is I think you're telling the truth. But is that truth important enough to express because it perhaps prevents women and others from dealing with the perhaps more substantive truths that you talk about. 
Oh, I think it's really important we know we get uglier with age. I think women would be married sooner if, you know, we realized that at 35 we're not hot. As hot, sorry, as hot. Sorry, sorry, 35-year-olds, as hot, as hot. So I, I got to be uh, delicate with how I unpack this. The you're a former athlete. You're six foot tall. You're you don't you're. There are all these standards of beauty that people. Well, well, she's a redhead and blondes are hotter and blah, blah, blah. And so when you make that statement, it makes people question your standard of beauty. How do and and I got a follow up to this question or or point I want to make about this this question. Uh, is why I'm asking. But how do you respond to the people to say, well, Pearl's not hot enough to be making that point? Well, my hotness doesn't doesn't dictate the hotness of the market. So it's like, I always say, I think I'm an average looking chick. I can live with that. It's like, I, I don't care. But it's it's the fact that if you're a five today, you'll be a four in 10 years. If you're a seven today, you'll be a six in 10 years. Like we all, it, it and the funny thing is that tweet, I didn't say ugly. I said uglier. I did not say, I actually think the original tweet was, no, you're not better looking at 35 than 20. It was something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. I never said there's no beauty at 35. I just said there's less, which used to be common sense. Like they would say, at, you know, make sure you get married young. You know, they'd be like at, what, what do they call you in, in China? It's like a leftover woman at 30. You're like a leftover woman. <laughs> so is, does that put any pressure on you in terms of you're 26, you're not married. Do you feel pressured to get married soon? Yes. Yes, I do. I'd like to get married soon. <laughs> so here's, and, and I'm one, here's an observation or realization that you've actually helped me come to. Uh, and, and this relates to your, your own beauty. And, and keep in mind, I'm certainly old enough to be your dad, and I'm, so I'm not trying to flirt with you or hit on you. I'm talking to you like a dad would talk to his daughter. There's a beauty that comes from uh, innocence and purity. And and again, I'm talking to you like a dad talking to his daughter. You emote innocence and purity. And it, it makes you more attractive. No different than masculinity in a man, confidence in a man makes him more attractive. People don't recognize, and, and one of the things you're arguing and talking about when you talk about body counts for women, and how they've adopted a whore's mentality, they're undermining their beauty by sacrificing their innocence and purity. No different than a man who is unsuccessful, has no confidence, uh, has no masculinity, sacrifices his sex appeal and beauty. And, and I've watched your videos, and I watched uh, one this morning, someone sent it to me, 
of you, I think this was perhaps early in your YouTube career, but you, maybe you'll remember and know exactly when it was, but you did a video about Megan the Stallion and the song, I'm a Big Old Freak, and you broke down the song. <laughs> you found and, those? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm just, if anybody watches it, I'm just, you're emoting a purity and an innocence and a it, it comes, and part of me was like, is this a performance? Is this an act? Is she really this? Naive is the only word I can think of at the moment, but it's not the exact word that I'm looking for. But that, that and, and I'm just, it just made you gorgeous in terms of like the way you interacted with that song and came off like, you know, and so it part of me, and I don't know if you remember that video, and, and I'm asking again, not in a negative, cynical way, but is part of that performance because you, you acted so naive to the song or so uh, uncynical about the song that I was like, e either this is a brilliant performance or this is the most innocent and pure person on YouTube. And I'm wondering if you recognize the power of innocence and purity and, and how it just makes a person more attractive or makes a woman more attractive. I think it's hilarious. You found I used to do rap reactions. That was a whole, that was a whole series I used to do. Um, I mean, I think you lean into it a little bit for the rap reactions, but I mean, overall, yeah, it, it all started those reactions because I didn't know what, what was the word? A steppa was, I didn't know what that meant. And so my ex-boyfriend like told me that you should react to like these music and he just thought it was hilarious. So that was how the rap reactions started. Um, but yeah, I think there's a beauty about innocence. Sure. I'm going to ask you a very personal question. Feel free to tell me, Jason, mind your own business. Okay. The boyfriend that told you to rap to re, uh, rap video, black guy? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Pearl. I'm I'm watching you from afar, and I got you. I got you read pretty well. It's it's, and 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 I mean that in a very positive way. You you're an authentic person. Uh, I've seen a lot of people call you a grifter and say it's it's an act. But many of the things you say can only be said by a really authentic person. B because w when you're really authentic, when you don't carry the baggage of worrying about, oh, am I going to get found out? They're going to find out I'm, I'm a secret racist or they're going to find out I, I'm, this is all a grift. You don't say many of the things that you say. And, and I, I, I'm just I watch your videos and I'm like this woman. Her authenticity is why she's so bold. And, and I say that because it was the exact same experience for me. I, I've never cared what anyone thought about me because I knew exactly who I was. And uh, there was a time in my 20s when, you know, people reacted jealously to my success that I, I think a lot of people are reacting jealously to, to your success.
and and they want to, you know, I, I was just thinking about the whole beauty thing. It was like, if I told people, hey, uh, don't eat fast food, it'll make you overweight. The fact that I'm overweight doesn't dismantle that truth. And so the fact that you say, hey, uh, you're not as hot at 35 as 25, just because you don't look like Giselle Bungeon doesn't dismantle that truth. Uh, and so I, I don't know, I, I just, I, Kobe who works with you or whatever, you know, introduced you or pointed me your direction and, and I started seeing the videos and then here in the last month I've seen all the controversy and all the backlash to what you say and I was like, man, and, and I, I mean this as a compliment, don't be offended, but I'm like, this is like a young female Jason Whitlock just taking on the world and people are losing their mind and they need to cut it out uh, <laughs> and, and enjoy it. But you, you kind of got the market cornered. And so what's, what's next? What is it just continuing to build out the Pearl relationship brand or do you have uh, even bigger plans down the road? Um, well, I just started a new podcast called Pearl Daily, where I give like more of cultural commentary. So yeah, that's that's my new thing right now. But we have some potential plans in the future. But I don't. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Any chance you'll move back to America? Oh, dear God. Yes, please. I need to get out of this country. <laughs> no offense, England. No offense. If anyone from England's watching, you know, thank you for having me the last two years, but I got to go. America, USA. I need the big roads. The the food isn't as good here. Like, I, I need to go back. Yeah. Why, why have you lived there for two years? The volleyball thing? Yeah, well, I did two seasons of volleyball here. So that ended in like February or March. So it's funny as I've been blowing up, like I've been on a team, like I've been playing. I thought there was some trouble with you and the team over your, have you, have you not made some anti-trans comments or what they can see, perceive as anti-trans well, comments? Yeah. Well, I haven't gotten, Apparently, apparently, I, I'm on a disciplinary meeting coming up or something. I might get kicked out. I don't really care because, like, eh, whatever. I mean, I was like, the audacity. I'm like, England is not good enough at volleyball to, like, be kicking me off this team. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> but I don't know. I might get kicked off. I might not. I don't really care. And so when might you come back to the state? Because I, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for you here. I, I'm that the authenticity and the innocence and the purity that has big marketability. You're, you're you could be like a, a, a conservative Oprah Winfrey. It, 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 it you, you've got that it deal that I'm telling you, you could be a conservative. I, I've seen so many, you, you know what you, you are, and, and I don't wanna drag you into something that you don't wanna talk about, but it, it's, if Tommy Lauren had your brains, she'd be something. Uh, <laughs> but she just doesn't have your brains. And doesn't, I'm t everybody, whether right or left, 
are capable of liking you. And, and you know, there's a intelligence to what you're doing that most people, whether men or women, just don't have. And, and so is, is that, who's the biggest, your dad, your mom, your older sister or brother, who, who's, who, who, who's responsible for your values and just your uh, savvy? Um, so my dad is like the nicest person I've ever met in my life. Like literally, my dad is like the type of guy like that helps random people with his like groceries. Like, well, you know, when they're like ha holding groceries outside of the grocery store, my dad's the type of guy that will just like literally like help random people bring their groceries out. Um, and it's funny because my personality, if I take a personality test, is very naturally liberal. It said I had a 90% chance of being a diehard liberal. Yes, yes, because I'm very high in openness and some other trait that apparently is like predictively liberal. But what would happen is I would get a crazy idea and I would come home and tell my, you know, women, it's just like, we just think things, we hear things. And I, and I would come home and I would tell my dad and he would just like break down like why that's not true. So like one thing I remember was I always felt kind of bad because my dad was really well off. And like my dad is a really successful, um, so like my dad and mom did a software company together. And, and so I always kind of felt bad that like I grew up in such a good environment as opposed to like people who don't. And I used to believe in like government handouts and that sort of thing when, I mean, this is like when I was young, young, like 15, you know, we just hear things as women and we're like, oh, here's the sad story. We should give out free things. So they do to us. And, <laughs> and so I would go to my dad and I, I would say, dad, like this idea. And one day he sat me down and he said, $2 in, $1 out. And I was like, what do you mean, dad? He's like, $2 in, $1 out. And he's like, you can only have so many programs that you put $2 into and you take $1 out until you run out of money. And that was the day I became a conservative because, I mean, in terms of the financial stuff. So a lot of stuff basically came from my dad because he was a big, um, I don't know who he listened to in the car on the radio. I know Larry Elder was one of them. But there was a couple others that he would listen to. I didn't really know what they were talking about, but I guess stuff just like sticks. Um, and then I'm trying to think of he doesn't think women. He thinks women should vote, though. So I'm a little more extreme than my dad. He thinks I go too far sometimes. <laughs> but I'm going to get him on this train. That's my strongest opinion. Repeal the 19th. That is like my number one. If I could die on a hill, <laughs> that would be the one I'll die on. I'm open to compromise though it could be net net taxpayers that'll take out most of the women anyway you know what i mean so <laughs> but that's my Did number you say one. you have nine brothers and sisters yeah it's kind of it's kind of a, a weird story um i grew up with six so i was the second to six i was between two boys um and then below them i have three little sisters however my parents adopted teenagers. So there was like one kid that was homeless on my brother's football team. They adopted him when he was like, so they didn't live with, with us that long, but it was like, they were like 15, 16, just in like bad situations. We took in three teenagers. All of them were when I was out of the house. So one was after I left, one was when I was like two. And then I also, my parents got pregnant, same parents um, when they were like, my mom was 17. And so I have one brother that actually didn't grow up with us. They gave him up for adoption. 
and I met, I didn't know he existed until I was 22. So I have 10 total. I grew up in the house with six. I was second to six, but there's 10 total. Wow. So of that group, all of you guys, pretty much conservatives, shared values and views? I, I wish. My one sister has blue hair and a sleeve. I'm like, why? How did we end up like this? <laughs> I wish. Um, no, I would say I'm the most conservative. And some of them, my one sister's 16. She's like, stop embarrassing me. All my friends watch you. <laughs> and I'm like, are they boys? If they're boys, they like me. The girls don't. It's like, <laughs> you know. Any chance you'll any chance you'll move into politics at some point? Oh, you know, I've always thought about running for an office, but really just trying to repeal the 19th, like just sit, like getting us out of politics. Like, like I'm like, could I run for something so women can never run again? I swear. I swear on this because I realized that like so many problems come women ruin. I, I had this realization. I'm like, we ruin every industry we get into because we're all about our feelings. We're like, we need everyone to be equal. No, no, that's not how the world is. It's hierarchy, hierarchy, whatever. And the men, the men understand this. So I'm like, if I could run for something to take away our rights, <laughs> I swear I would do it. I swear. So who do you like on the Republican side, Trump or Whoever DeSantis? thinks women shouldn't vote. <laughs> um, <laughs> who, I don't know. I'm not crazy political. Like, I don't really know what policies people are passing. Um, I always loved Ben Shapiro, although I do think I am more, more right than him. Um, I always loved Jordan Peterson. Uh, my dad really likes Rob DeSantis. You know, I liked Trump. I just thought he was hilarious. Just as an entertainer alone, he was so funny. I, you know, I'm a woman. We just like, you know, watch things and just that's how we make our opinions. But I wouldn't say I know all the ins and outs of like policy and all that. Well, Pearl, uh, I want to thank you for the time. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, you're a little bit different than I anticipated, but not really, not much. Uh, I think it's fascinating what you're doing. We're gonna, you're going to be asleep when we're doing this, but we're going to have a Twitter Spaces about you uh, tonight where, you know, we'll, right after this interview airs, uh, we'll go to Twitter and I'm going to invite my followers to have a discussion about Pearl. I'll be in there defending you. I've invited some women, some, some that have been, you know, critical of you to come into the Twitter space so we can have it out. Uh, I feel much more confident uh, defending you after having talked with you today. Uh, I wish you continued success, and uh, I hope that uh, one day you invite me to your wedding so that I can shake your husband's hand and say he got a good one. Uh, so anyway, congrats. Thank you so much. Uh, hope we can do it again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had fun. Thank you, Pearl. All right, uh, we'll play some tomorrow. And we'll see you over on Twitter Space. We are living, get back. We are receiving all the seeds when we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just want.